Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Tuesday, March the 15th, 2022. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined on this Tuesday by Senior Team Reporter Charlie Potter. Charlie, do you officially have the madness? Are you sensing or experiencing the madness that annually comes with the month of March? Yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty mad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it's exciting. It's always fun to to break out the bracket and to just to look at um, you know, the teams that made it, kind of reflect on the season. Um, you know, it's nice to cover an NCAA tournament. You know, I've been doing this for um, at least from a basketball standpoint, damn near ten years now, and uh, this doesn't happen a lot. So you know, to be able to to watch the NCAA tournament, but also be able to cover it. Uh, that's enjoyable. So, yeah, I mean, and, and plus it's, what is it? The final four is in new Orleans, great host city. Um, should sure. be a fun tournament to follow. It should be. And even with this Alabama team limping into a six seed for the NCAA tournament, you know, I think it's important because it's been a while since Alabama men's basketball, posted back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances to give to give Nate Oates and his staff their proverbial flowers because maybe we're already taking it for granted that this is the way it's going to be under Nate Oates on an annual basis. But here they are nonetheless, regardless of how it went about, regardless of how they are playing right now at the most important time of the year, it's still an accomplishment that needs to be celebrated. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I know that Alabama fans are frustrated. Believe me, we we see it on the message board. You see it on Twitter uh, with the way the season has ended, kind of the roller coaster, um, you know, ride that it's been all season long. But you know, even with all that, Alabama fans didn't have anything to worry about on Sunday. They knew that um, Alabama was going to be in the NCAA tournament. When's the last time that's happened? Where? You know, of course, you had you know last season with the the NC or the SEC regular season and tournament titles, but just going into March and not being on the bubble is a rarity. Um, so to to have that comfortability for two years in a row, even with you know some of the disappointments of this season, you're right. I mean, I think it it says a lot about the direction that Nate Oates has this program um, heading. You know, he he even talked about it. I asked him just because he talked about getting the players minds right and and that's not something you necessarily want to hear going into your 33rd game of the season but um you know he he said it best is you know let's convince them that the sky's not falling you know they've had an unbelievable year they've had some the most impressive wins of anybody in the country and they have a chance to to make a run you know he's cited last year's ucla team which beat alabama in the sweet 16 as someone they're trying to use as motivation and an example for this team so uh, they're certainly capable of it. You know what they were able to accomplish in December, especially shows that this team can beat anybody, but they can also lose to anybody. I think that's been the most frustrating thing. But you know the wins they were able to accomplish made it so that Sunday was a, a relaxing day for Alabama fans. They just waited to see who they were going to play, and now you know, they wait a little longer, considering tomorrow's playing game between Rutgers and Notre Dame. But yeah, it's a it's a season that I think is successful. You know, the tournament, yeah, and then we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but we'll go a little bit in, in determining you know, the full extent of that. But yeah, to, to be able to play in back-to-back NCAA tournaments for the first time in 
15 plus years and to do so as a six seed or higher for the first time in 30 years. Uh, I think that says a lot about the, the trajectory of this program under Nate Oates. You know who value the things we just outlined for the last couple of years under Nate Oates at Alabama? Programs looking for new coaches value back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances. And that's not to put anything out there that you know we're expecting or sensing anything in that sort of area uh, with the SEC turning over heavily, man, at the head coach level. I guess Frank Martin of South Carolina, the most recent, to find out that he won't be returning to Columbia. So bottom line, be appreciative of the accomplishment. Be hopeful that you're not in that mix of about half the league that is looking to make changes at the head coach level. And again, we're not saying anything, Charlie, but right. Uh, if, if you're Maryland, if you're Louisville, you know, if you're some of these programs that are pretty prominent on the college basketball landscape, guy like Nate Oates wouldn't be a bad alternative for you, I wouldn't think. No, he, he wouldn't. Um, you know, I, I think that's you know, something Alabama fans are, are probably going to worry about for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, Nate Oates has said routinely that he's happy in Tuscaloosa. I mean, he just signed an extension last year uh, with some some top jobs opening, including some in the Midwest, which I think is really where, um, you know, that that's where the concern will be that maybe the NBA but, um, yeah, I mean, a, a program like Louisville, who's won national championships, you know, they would certainly be interested in somewhat of NATO's uh, caliber and, and pedigree, you know, given what he's been able to accomplish at both Buffalo and now at Alabama. But, um, you know, I think with the, the new arena, that has to give you some solace. You know, there's, there is a emphasis from the university uh, on the men's basketball program especially, and they are um, investing in it. And so... I think that's maybe where, you know, whenever you start to worry as an Alabama fan about the future, uh, you can you know, rest a little bit easier is that, you know, Alabama can also, you know, provide and try to keep their head coach around. I, I don't think any of these openings in the SEC are maybe cause for concern, like you said. But, you know, when when some of these other jobs open up across the country, you know, you're going to kind of perk up a little bit and, and pay attention. I know, you know, just perusing the, the Maryland message board, they, they certainly would like to have Nate Oates as their head coach. I don't, I don't really see that happening as of right now, but I think that'll be something with the success of this program that'll continue to be a thing just because coaching turnover happens. It's oftentimes unpredictable. And, and sometimes when things happen, they come out of left field. Yeah. I think if you're an Alabama fan, you, you were happy to see Michigan retain Jawan Howard after that situation uh, with the altercation with the uh, Wisconsin staff. And, um, you know, that would be the sort of job, given Nate Oates' roots and background, that would be especially worrisome, I would think, for Alabama fans. So we'll see how it goes. Still a lot of basketball to be played. We're going to talk about that now. Charlie, you know, how many times since Sunday evening have you been asked? I know I've been asked multiple times in the last three or four days. Who matches up better with Alabama? Which is the better matchup for Alabama, Notre Dame or Rutgers? And I don't know about you, but my stock answer is I don't know if it really matters. Look, no disrespect to Notre Dame or Rutgers. You know, Notre Dame with a really good record in a traditionally really good league, not so much this year with the ACC. Rutgers, when you talk about quad one wins, I believe six, including wins over Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio State. So some impressive attributes for both teams. 
But man, when I think about a matchup on Friday afternoon in San Diego, California for Alabama, I think Alabama is the toughest matchup for Alabama right now, Charlie. Yeah, no doubt. I think they need to kind of get out of their own way a little bit. They need to clean some things up. And you know, hearing from Nate Oates uh, on Sunday, shortly after the the bracket was revealed, we'll hear from him uh, actually later today after practice. But um, you know, he he talked a lot about just taking care of the basketball. Um, you know, making their free throws, uh, just making um, shots near the rim. The 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 easy things, the the things that are certainly things that can be cleaned up. But, you know, that have been issues for Alabama here of late. Uh, so, yeah, if they do those things, some of these issues that they've had here at the final stretch of the season will, will go away. But, yeah, I mean, it, it has been a, a prevalent question. I mean, I'm not going to sit here now. Like, I, I know the best answer to that because I haven't watched a ton of Rutgers or Notre Dame basketball this season. You know, judging from just what, um, you know, Nate Oates has said and some just quick background checks, it looks like they're completely different teams whereas mm-hmm. you know, Rutgers is you know pretty defensive minded and then Notre Dame likes to take a lot of shots so I mean in, in that regard Notre Dame and Alabama are, are similar and then Alabama's had an issue with you know consistency on the defensive in the floor and you know that hasn't been an issue for Rutgers so, so yeah I mean I, I think at the end of the day you're right Alabama needs to worry about Alabama right now. Of course, they're having to prepare for two teams, and, and that'll dwindle down to one after Wednesday night's game. But uh, they are focusing more on the things that they can do better. They're trying to simplify things, and I think that's smart you know, coming from Nate Oates and his staff. So, yeah, if they can, they can clean up some of these issues that have been consistent issues down the stretch, I, I think they'll be all right. Yeah, Notre Dame is an old team, so that worries you. The maturity of Notre Dame – could be problematic for a Alabama team that from media timeout to media timeout, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. Rutgers, you said it, maybe more defensive oriented, a a solid player in Ron Harper Jr. Uh, Mike Bray, coach for Notre Dame, certainly experienced in the ways of the NCAA tournament. I believe this is his 13th appearance with the Irish, 22nd year at Notre Dame for Mike Bray. That's mind boggling to me because I remember – when he was hired. So, um, yeah, that, that's probably not a good thing if you're me, but anyway, Notre Dame and, and Rutgers Wednesday night. Here's another thing in all this too. These teams play Wednesday night, uh, late really, yeah. uh, in Dayton, Ohio, and go ahead and get your CBS alternative stations figured out between TBS, true TV. It's that time of year with March madness. And then the winner goes from Dayton, Ohio, to San Diego, California, and plays Alabama in less than 48 hours' time. So, look, you're the sixth seed. You got a team coming from the Midwest to the West Coast. They got to turn around in less than 48 hours' time. Uh, You said it. There's some things you got to consider from a scouting perspective. Unlike Vandy and Georgia in that first-round game in Tampa, the SEC tournament, you had already played both those teams. So you had that benefit there. You don't have that with Notre Dame. Our Rutgers, but let's get into some fill in the blank scenarios here on the podcast. We're going to do this for basketball quickly, and then we'll get into football uh, and talk about the start of spring practice at Alabama and really Nick Saban's introductory press conference for 2022 spring drills. But basketball first, Charlie. I think we just hit on some of this, but score aside, blank is the stat that will tell you if Alabama 
wins its opening round game on Friday in San Diego? Yeah, I think it's turnovers. Uh, that's been a real issue for Alabama of late. You look back since really the start of the year, they've only had two games where they haven't uh, been in double-digit turnovers. And here of late, just on the stretch, the last five games, they've averaged uh, 18.6 turnovers per game. So you know that's been a problem. You know, Nate Oates, especially you know talking to us. Um, Sunday night, I, I don't know how many times he said, take care of the ball. It, it, it was probably 20 plus, and I'm not even, you know, being, I'm not exaggerating on that. that. That's clearly been a point of emphasis. They want to take care of the ball because they don't want to, one, you know, give points to the other team, but waste possessions for their, themselves. And they've, they've been some careless turnovers at times. And, um, yeah, I think the guards have to do a better job of that. Javon Quinterly, J.D. Davison, they have to take care of the ball. And yeah, I'll give credit to J.D. Uh, yeah, that's been an issue for him most of the year, but he's done a, a better job of that down the stretch of, of taking care of the ball and being a facilitator. I think if they can get that consistently from both of their point guards, it'll go a long way in determining the success of this team. So, yeah, just limiting the mistakes, the, the careless turnovers, I think will certainly be a step in the right direction. I don't know if it necessarily – equates in a win but usually whenever you don't give the team three points off turnovers and you don't waste possessions uh, you're going to have a better chance to be successful so for me i think it starts with turnovers you could probably list a, a myriad of things on that blank line but uh turnovers for me is, is number one yeah i think turnovers it would be my first choice and uh, yeah extension of that points off turnovers maybe as a stat so i'll go with fouls on alabama you know, Alabama's coming off a performance against Vanderbilt. Whatever you thought about the crew, whatever you thought about the benefit of the whistle that, say, Scottie Pippen Jr. got, you knew it was coming. You know Scottie Pippen Jr.'s game. It's head fakes. It's ball fakes. It's testing your discipline on the defensive end, seeing how long you'll guard patiently and without fouling. So guarding without fouling for Alabama, regardless of whether it's Notre Dame, whether it's Rutgers, um, just look at fouls, 30 against Vanderbilt uh, in that SEC tournament loss. Charlie, uh, blank is the player most important to Alabama's tournament shelf life. Who would that be? Yeah, I have to go with Quinterly. Um, you, know, you look at last year, he really came on in the second half of the season. He was clearly the SEC tournament MVP and leading Alabama to, to wins uh, in Nashville. And then, you know, he was – he was good in the tournament. Uh, he scored in double figures in all three games. He scored 20 against UCLA. Um, but, you know, if he limits the turnovers, uh, if, if he facilitates the ball and then you just scores like he's able to, uh, I think Alabama will certainly be in good shape I mean, because he's a guy, you know, we've talked about, you mentioned Notre Dame and how they're a veteran team. Leadership has been a popular topic for this Alabama and his basketball team. And, We've heard Nate Oates, um, you'll talk about James Rojas being the guy that's been the vocal leader, but it sounds like Javon Quinterly is trying to be that down the stretch. And, you know, if, if he's able to be an example, to be vocal, and then not let a bad play affect the next series or the next couple of possessions, um, I, I think that that'll, that'll do wonders for this team because if he's playing well, if he's aggressive, uh, then usually good things are happening for Alabama. You know, oftentimes that's not going to be a deterrent for this team. So uh, I think if Quinterly can not necessarily duplicate what he was able to do last year, but come close to it, 
uh, that will certainly go a long way in, in keeping Alabama alive in March and sustaining this season. But, you know, if he's turning the ball over, if he's not shooting well, if, you know, his body language is bad from a, you know, a, a mistake or something like that, it could certainly have the opposite effect on this team as well. So I think, you know, if, if he plays well, really if, if all the guards play well, that's that's going to be the determining factor for this team. But especially with, with JQ, if he's able to go out there and, and play some kind of semblance of what he was able to do last year, then, yeah, I, I think that they can you know win a game or two in this NCAA tournament for sure. Yeah, I think anybody that's going to play on the basketball lot, you have to put a high priority on. And certainly Javon Quinterly qualifies from that perspective. And tangibly, some of the things you pointed out in terms of leadership would be great if they sort of flourished here in the NCAA tournament. I have my doubts about that. Not so much because I don't think you can lead in different ways. I just think in some instances, you either got it or you don't. And a lot of that has to do with how much does your individual play, how much is it impacted uh, is in terms of your ability to lead? Can you still lead if you're 2 of 13 from the field and has six turnovers? You know, Can you still lift your team as a whole uh, if those type of things are happening? How much better can you make the people around you even when your individual performance maybe isn't up to par? I'll go with Keon Ellis. Because back before the season, we heard Keon described as maybe one of the best all-around players in all of college basketball by Nate Oates. And it's not to say he's had a subpar season, but that's the Keon Ellis, the one we heard about in the preseason, that I think Alabama needs here for whatever its time in the NCAA tournament is. And, you know, he's got some of those glue attributes as well, you know, defensively, not just in terms of his offensive production three-point shooting, those type of things, uh, need Keon Ellis to put on his Herb Jones uh, sort of cape here in the NCAA tournament. It may be an all-around game show up a little bit better than it has throughout the course of the season. All right, Charlie, one more for basketball before we move on to football. A win in the opening round is the difference in this season being labeled as blank or blank. Yeah, I mean – you hate to kind of deal in absolutes here, but it, it seems like it's a success or a disappointment because, you know, Alabama entered the year. I think they were picked to finish second in the SEC. That's not much of a surprise given Kentucky's still in the SEC. But I, I think a lot of people expected them to be competing for, you know, a top two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. And while the wins over Gonzaga, Houston, and, and Baylor are great, I think fans are almost a little tired of hearing about that just because of the other you know, disappointing factors on the schedule, whether it was the losses to teams like Missouri or Georgia or Memphis, teams they were expected to beat and should have beat, or, or games they kind of let slip away down the stretch in the way that they performed here um, you know, in the month of March when you want to be playing your best basketball. But you know, Nate Oates said it best. I, think, I, I still think getting to the tournament – uh, for two straight years is a big accomplishment. Um, you know, this is obviously what he wants to be. The expectations each year is just making the tournament. Uh, that's the bare minimum. But, you know, he even recognized that there were really high expectations on this season. And, um, you know, after winning the SEC last year, um, you know, those expectations obviously were, were set higher. But, you know, they've they've been able to – 
accomplish something that no Alabama team has been able to do in the past you know, 15 plus years, getting to back to back tournaments. And he just wants to remind his players of that, of what they're capable of back in December, you know, what they've accomplished. He, you know, he talked about this being an unbelievable year and having an, uh, an opportunity to make a really great run here at the last, um, you know, part of the season. But it is a situation where you know they haven't won 20 games yet. If if they lose in the first round of the, the tournament, they won't reach 20 wins. And I think you know going into the year, if you had said with this roster and knowing they had beaten teams like Gonzaga and Houston and Baylor, uh, Tennessee, uh, you know some of the wins they have on this schedule, and knowing they didn't win 20 wins overall, I, I think that's still a disappointment. So for me, yeah, I think it's. Get in the tournament, win at least one game, make it to the round of 32, and this season is still seen as a success. And I think making the tournament, regardless, is 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 going to be that. But I still think, you know, if they have an early exit, lose in the first round, that's going to be disappointing for a lot of people, just because again there were high expectations for this team, and you know it was a situation going into the year where you wonder if they can make maybe even a deeper run in the tournament. You know that hasn't happened because of inconsistency, whether that's on-court performance or leadership. So, yeah, an early exit, I, I think that'll be a big disappointment for this team. Yeah, I think a win in the opening round is the difference in this season being labeled as another step forward. Because, as you mentioned, it's not just another win in the NCAA tournament for Nate Oates and his tenure at Alabama. It would be three in the last two seasons. But you also would hit the 20-win mark which in some ways still magical uh, when you think about season accomplishments. There's 21 teams, as we know, in the NIT, of course, as well. So it's not got the same sort of shine as it maybe had once before. But, yeah, another step forward, or I would view this season as simultaneously acceptable yet also disappointing. Acceptable in that if you make the NCAA tournament, that's the standard at which – you want to try to live each and every year. That's what Nate Oates, as you said, has said as sort of the uh, floor for his program at Alabama. Every year, make the NCAA tournament. So that's acceptable, certainly, in any season that you make the field. But disappointing in that the way this season really kind of went since Christmas on, really. I mean, uh, you know, the, the SEC season, you still had some highlights. You had a win over Tennessee that looks really good right now. You had a win over Arkansas that looks really good right now. But just the inconsistency and then defensively how you just caved in in losses to Texas A&M at home. And then just a short time later, the second half performance against Vanderbilt in Tampa. So I think we're sort of in agreement, maybe some different wordage used there verbiage used there but yeah kind of the same viewpoint i think hey let's talk some football charlie as the alabama crimson tide opened spring drills on friday afternoon alabama then of course takes spring break off so we're awaiting the return of practice next week but did hear from nick saban following friday's practice and so some fill in the blanks here for alabama football following that workout and Nick Saban's comments, the most encouraging thing you heard from Nick Saban following Friday's practice was blank. Yeah, I think it's him being impressed by the the transfers. Um, you know, he had a lot of good things to say. That's to be expected. He was really high on 
you know, how Alabama um, performed in the offseason program. I actually almost mentioned that uh, as, as my choice there, you know, talking about the attitude of the team, um, you know, the conditioning level, the commitment, all those things, things that are music to Alabama fans' ears, no doubt. But, um, you know, as he went on in his opening statement, he talked about the early enrollees and everything like that. And But then he, he talked about the three transfers being, um, you know, Georgia wide receiver Jermaine Burton, um, Georgia Tech running back Jameer Gibbs and LSU cornerback Eli Ricks. And you know, he, he talked about how he thinks um, all three of those guys will create a role um, for themselves on this year's team. And uh, he said they were impressive today and will be very helpful for us. Those are the, the exact quotes he used. So um, that that's not a huge surprise, given that these guys have Power 5 experience coming in. But you know, on, on day one of practice, having been on campus for just a couple months, um, you know, it sounds like these guys are already, you know, pushing for immediate playing time and you know, Alabama hasn't even put on full pads yet. So I think if there was any question about whether these three transfers were, were going to, you know, fill a significant role for this year's team, they might have already been answered on day one of spring. So, you know, of course, you know, we might pump the brakes a little bit, see how things go. You want to see the 8A game and then, you know, get to preseason camp. But it sounds like all three of those guys are impressing early. And, you know, there's opportunities at all three of those positions with guys moving on to the NFL. So, you know, especially at wide receiver, I think Jermaine Burton with uh, Ja'Cory Brooks out, going to have an opportunity to to solidify himself as Alabama's number one wide receiver this spring and then the other guys are, I think you know wouldn't shock me at all to see them be starters for uh you know their respective teams come eight eight games so yeah I, I think for me it's the newcomers we could have listed a bunch of things honestly but that as soon as he you kind of said that and didn't really hold back I, I think stood out to me the most yeah I thought it was for me as much as anything it was it was encouraging that he he mentioned they were actually there and practicing, which we anticipated. But yeah, in terms of expectations for those guys, Alabama's at a point with the transfer portal where they're not in it for developmental guys, right? right. They're not going after now if the right guy presents himself as a developmental player, then I'm sure they would go there, but it's more of a cherry picking situation for Alabama. So the only thing that would have surprised me would have been if one or two of those guys wasn't there um, and it sounds like they all three were, and it sounds like all three have already checked boxes, which again, you look at the positions that Alabama went to the well, where those transfers are concerned, wide receiver, running back corner, certainly they're looking to replace some starters there. So good to hear that. No doubt. Um, you know, and, and then I think also, as you touched on a little bit earlier, just how the team had come through the the offseason conditioning. That, and that's something you anticipate on an annual basis. Um, you know, I like hearing that Damian George is continuing to make strides because we, we, we talk developmental and, and certainly offensive line is, is that. I'm sure we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But, you know, this is a guy that still can factor in heavily there at, at one of those offensive tackle spots. And you're hoping he does at this point and maybe it, it's something where he's needed a couple of years. A lot of offensive linemen do uh, coming from the high school ranks before they're ready to certainly, you know, hang in against the likes of Will Anderson and Dallas <laughs> Turner on a daily basis. So that'll help in that process as well. Let me ask you this, Charlie. The most concerning thing you heard from Saban last Friday was blank. 
Yeah, there wasn't a lot of concerning things. I don't think. Of course, it was a short press conference. He only talked for ten minutes. He had to. Um, he had to be somewhere, uh, but it, it was a situation where we expected to hear about some injured players. Um, you know, the offensive line was one, of course, where I thought we would hear maybe one or two. Um, you know, Keanu Coot uh, is someone that last year we saw moving around with a scooter. He had a walking boot on his foot, uh, so that didn't come as much surprise. But Ja'Cory Brooks, um, you know, that that was. I, I don't want to necessarily label it as a concern, but you know he had a prime opportunity to again, like I mentioned with Jermaine Burton, you know to really establish himself as a starter this spring. And I, I don't think that's going to be lost. I don't think he's going to completely lose his spot in the rotation or anything like that because, you know, frankly, he was the most consistent reserve Alabama had last year at the position. Um, you know, the guys around him were just inconsistent. Uh, you know, Nick Saban has, has talked about it before about how the younger guys didn't take advantage of the, their opportunities uh, in the national championship game. I don't think he was talking about Jacory Brooks, given how much he praised him throughout the 2021 season. But, you know, him being out for the spring, um, while that does open up spots for these other guys to get, you know, invaluable reps uh, over the course of the next couple months. Um, you know, that means Ja'Cory's not getting those. And I think to continuing to build that rapport with Bryce Young and just, you know, getting the mental and physical reps in the spring were going to be important for him. Uh, again, I still think he's going to be there in the mix. I wouldn't be shocked if he's a starter, you know, in game one against Utah State come September. But, you know, just anytime you, you miss time as a young player, it's not the best idea. So that for me, I guess, is just the maybe the biggest bummer maybe a concern i don't really have a ton of those from that first press conference but you know i think for for brooks and the receiving core the offense as a whole him not being out there you know that that kind of you know leaves them one less experienced body which they didn't have very many of going into spring yeah i think that the offensive tackle situation was interesting to to hear nick touch on because it was so extensive the number of potential (laughs) candidates that could be in play there, whether you talk about Kendall Randolph, whether you talk about Damian George, whether you talk about Javion Cohen, J.C. Latham, Tommy Brockermeyer, it goes on and on. The concern I had with his comments on that situation was we're going to find out if a lot of these guys can play tackle, right, or if they're guards, which isn't to say there isn't a lot of value in having excellent guard play. There certainly is interior play, we know, very, very important, but – um, yeah, you think about Tyler Steen being in the transfer portal from Vanderbilt and Alabama's interest there. It sounds like sort of a crossroads couple of weeks coming up for some of these guys in terms of tackle. Now, some of these guys we've seen, Javion Cohen can certainly stay in that place as a starting guard and be very effective. And, you know, you can feel good about that, but you need two tackles. Yeah. And I didn't come away from Friday thinking, oh yeah, they, they feel like they've got a couple of guys that. You know, they feel good about it. Just it's more about getting them some reps and and getting them ramped up. I I didn't get that sense from Nick Saban. Maybe it'll play out that way. That's what spring practice is for. But I didn't go away from Friday, Charlie, thinking, oh, well, they they may be just feeling around, maybe kicking the tires on Tyler Steen a little bit. Not really all in yet. I I came away from it thinking if if Tyler Steen wants to to go to Alabama, he'll have a spot. I don't know about you. No, I agree. Uh, and you're right. I mean, you know, we've seen what JV and Cohen can do at guard. It wouldn't shock me to see him stay there. 
uh, Kendall Randolph can again be that pseudo tight end that they have because they don't have a ton of tight ends on this roster, at least not for the spring. Uh, so, and, and, you know, Nick Saban did say a lot of good things about Kendall Randolph, who's coming back for his sixth year. And, um, you know, he, he talked a lot about, um, or he mentioned at the end, you know, the first thing they want to do is let him compete for a starting job in the offensive line. Well, Alabama did that last year and you know, it looked like Kendall Randolph was going to be the starting right tackle going into the 2021 season. And then, you know, his preseason camp, um, you know, concluded it, it was where, Chris Owens was the starting right tackle. So, you know, we'll see if, if anything's changed there, but you're right. I mean, it's a situation where uh, Damian George, JC Latham, those are guys that, you know, maybe they look more at, at guard. Um, you know, a, a guy like Emil Ekior is going to be a starter on this offensive line, but he dealt with that shoulder issue late in the season. Um, and we saw just from the brief practice clips we got, uh, on Friday, it looked like J.C. Latham was working some at right guard. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, you know, I, I think it's a good thing he mentioned Tommy Brockermeyer. I thought it was interesting he didn't mention Amari Kite, given the the list of players that he he rattled off. But it is a, a thing where at least they do have bodies, and there are enough names where Nick Saban can stand up there and, and mention them. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think if, if Tyler Steen – wants to come to Alabama he has a spot and he's going to be able to compete almost right away for one of those open uh, tackle spots for some of these guys that are coming back I think maybe as a sort of byproduct of Saban's comments on the tackle situation I think it it also bodes well again for the interior in terms of depth because you got Mm -hmm. guys like Jaden Roberts and you've got Terrence Ferguson and, and some of these young guys that I'm sure they feel good about which gives them the freedom you know, to sort of look at Javion Cohen and uh, he has a tackle background and you can stick with keeping Damian George perhaps out at tackle and and staying with him in terms of trying to develop him as a tackle first and foremost before perhaps going ahead and moving him inside. So there's some things to consider there where the interior is concerned as well. So let me ask you this, Charlie. Level of concern where spring absences are concerned is blank. Yeah, it's not very high. It, it's two or three for me. Again, I think Brooks is a, is a bummer that he can't be out there for spring because I think this would have been a, a really big time for him to separate himself, him and Jermaine Burton as the top two receivers for this year's team. I, I still think that's on the table. Um, I still think that's something he can accomplish in the in the preseason, because if, if you guys remember, we didn't see Ja'Cory Brooks in the 8A game this past year. Uh, he was on campus as an early enrollee. Of course, he had the COVID situation. Guys were out for a myriad of reasons. but um, And he was still able to kind of emerge as that next guy up at receiver behind um, you know, Jameis Williams, John Mechie, and Slade Bolden last year. So it, it's not a complete waste uh, and, and a thing where he's going to you know bump out of his spot. But, you know, with, with Darian Dalcourt, um, you know, that's a situation where they have another center that has first team experience in Seth McLaughlin. So, you know, that lops away some of that. And, and Keanu Coot, he's a guy that, that didn't play at all last year. And while you want those young guys to be able to go through spring practice and get that experience and to be able to play in the eight, eight game, uh, you know, Alabama recruits, it's, you know, it's, it's ass off at the outside linebacker position. It's, it's loaded with depth. It may, may not be just a ton of numbers, but there's a ton of talent. Uh, you know, a guy like Jeremiah Alexander could certainly benefit from Keanu Coop not being 
uh, in the outside linebacker line this spring. So it, it's not very high. I mean, you never want to see guys mispractice and they're going to be other guys that, you know, aren't full go. Um, but you know, I think given there were only three players and none of them were the running backs that suffered, um, season ending injuries last year, I think the level of concern is, you know, it's, it's very low. Um, and I think that's a very promising sign for the, the rehabs of both of those guys, uh, Jace McClellan and, and Roy Dove Williams. So yeah, I think all in all, uh, the, the concern levels low, but it, it's not zero. Yeah. I think we could almost circle back to most encouraging thing we heard from Nick Saban on Friday and look at it in terms of most encouraging thing we didn't hear from Nick Saban last Friday. And that had to do with the running back situation. As you outlined, it was, I took it as encouraging that you didn't hear an update really on Roy Dell Williams or Jason McClellan. That, that seems to indicate that those respective rehabs are going as you would hope. I'm with you in terms of the level of concern thing. Yes. Ja'Cory Brooks being out there to work alongside Jermaine Burton would be a very good thing. And for me, not so much just within the structure of the offense, but when things need to go outside of the structure. In other words, when plays break down, sort of that that chemistry you build like John Mechie had with Bryce Young when plays got extended and they just seemed to be on the same page. That comes from practice, too. And you're missing some of that with Ja'Cory Brooks. But um, wanted to ask you also, sort of in relation to those absences that we've talked about, the player who will benefit most from one of those absences is blank. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to pick a wide receiver. I think Treshawn Holden, um, you know, some of the guys that are coming back, even the new players, all of them are going to get uh, some more opportunities now. But it, it has to be Seth McLaughlin for me just because, you know, we saw him step in for Darren Dalcourt last year at the center position. Uh, you're getting his first start in the SEC championship game. And really, I thought that was you know his best game. He really uh, played well against that stout Georgia defensive front. And, you know, being the guy that will be the first team center this spring, um, he could really start to separate himself in that position battle because, you know, Darren Dalcourt dealt with that nagging ankle injury uh, for really the second half of the season is keeping him out of the spring. If Seth McLaughlin goes out and, and plays well, um, you know, Darian Dalcourt might not have a spot on his first team offensive line. So I'm not saying that it's a foregone conclusion that that's what's going to happen, but it, I could certainly see it happening. And in, in that same vein, it, it gives some of these younger centers some second team reps, which is huge because you know, Nick Saban talked about the center position briefly to, to cap that press conference on Friday. And you know, he, he said again that he wasn't concerned about the, the center spot because they have two. Uh, really good players, but um, it's about, you know, this is about getting some other guys, some reps and, you know, try to develop a third center because that's going to be important for the season and, and for the future of the program. So yeah, for me, I think Seth McLaughlin getting more opportunities and more run with the first team offensive line could, he could be someone to certainly benefit from this and could be a situation where he's going to be you know tough to knock off that top spot whenever Darian Dowcourt's back on the field. Yeah, you could really look at the three positions that we've outlined in relation to the injuries or absences uh, that Nick Saban outlined on Friday, whether it's outside linebacker and, as you said earlier, Jeremiah Alexander as an early enrollee, 
Uh, Jihad Campbell is a guy that you can cross train between inside linebacker and outside linebacker, uh, wide receiver. There's a plethora of guys at those outside spots uh, that should be in a position to benefit from the absence of Ja'Cory Brooks. And absolutely, you know, when you look at Seth McLaughlin and how important he was down the stretch of the 2021 season, uh, I'm more interested in terms of physical development with him because he showed me you know, in huge games on the biggest of stages, you know, how he was able to manage things in terms of a communicator as a, almost a play caller for the offensive line. I thought he handled that extremely well. Uh, still has some things physically uh, that he can work on in terms of strength and bulk and also just technique in general, footwork, those type of things. And you're right about depth at center that can benefit from this as well, because a year ago, no one was talking about Seth McLaughlin, right? And then we get to Mm -hmm. December and or even late November against Auburn and who's in there for the biggest games of the year, Seth McLaughlin. So a lot of guys, uh, James Brockermeyer, some of those guys uh, could certainly benefit from that as well. As we get out of here, Charlie, probably our most important fill in the blank of today's podcast Best break during the academic calendar year is blank. In honor of spring break, I asked that. Yeah, I mean, I had some good spring breaks. Um, you know, can't really talk about a lot of them on sure a family-friendly podcast. Yeah, uh, but actually, I, I think my last spring break as a college student, um, I didn't do anything fun. I got my wisdom teeth taken out. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that was that was a bummer. That's why I'm not going spring break on this. And so, does does summer break count in this? That's the big. I, yeah, if you want to count it, you know. Well, like a, a lot of the times, you you end up taking summer classes in in college and things like that. So for me, I always enjoy Christmas break because I feel like at Christmas yeah. break you really you turn everything off. Even honestly, a little bit here because I don't really take a day off per se, but Christmas, I don't do anything unless there's breaking news, unless something big happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm not checking the phone. I'm not on the computer. Uh, I'm not really doing much of anything. I've only had to travel on Christmas day once, I believe. And that was driving to Dallas in a rainstorm. So, um, as a, as a adult, as a college student, as a kid, Christmas break was always special because one, you're out of school, but two, it's the holidays. You have the music, the movies, the food, the family, the presents, everything. It's it's my favorite time of year. Um, and to be able to just kind of unplug and enjoy everything that comes along with the holiday, I, I think that's what puts it at number one for me. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Thanksgiving break. I, I think it's underrated. Now, you don't get usually the same amount of time. But, you know, now – I'm so old. We didn't have fall break. This, where did this fall break thing come from? You know, like in October, where I, I missed it. I didn't benefit from fall break back in the day. So uh, yeah, I know. Like some some schools take the whole week off, and I think we only got like Thursday and Friday, maybe Wednesday. But I don't. We didn't have a full week for sure. That's why I don't even fall break. I'm, I know yeah. I'm old man yelling at sky right now, but <laughs> damn, where was that at? No, I liked I liked Thanksgiving break a lot. In fact, um, 1992, going in the Wayback Machine, Alabama actually played Auburn at Legion Field on Thanksgiving morning, I believe. I believe that was Thanksgiving morning they played that year. 
maybe I'm wrong on that. It was either Thursday or Friday. I believe it was Thursday. And I went directly from Legion Field to Shuttlesworth Airport and caught a flight to Florida right after the game to uh, spend the rest of the, the Thanksgiving weekend at home. So that one stands out. Had some good spring breaks. Club La Vila. That's still operating. <laughs> I don't in know. Panama but City. But I, I, I did yeah, that one a few times. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. They, that and Spinnaker. I think those were the oh, two that were yeah, big I was in high school and college. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. down there to see if those are still alive and thriving. I hope they are. I hope they've cleaned them, but I hope they are. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I never got a tattoo in Panama City. That's not to say I never got one, period. Never got one in Panama City, and I never got one of the uh, the hand-sprayed T-shirts you could get down there. Oh, the airbrush? You know? Airbrush. I never got one of those. So I feel less than complete from the uh, from the break days. But I'll, I'll go Thanksgiving break. Uh, that 92 season, that was something else. And uh, that's about the point I went broke, though. Uh, right at about Thanksgiving break, I was out of money for the remainder of the, the academic calendar, or that year, heading into January anyway. Been a lot of fun, Charlie. Man, we got so much going on at BamaOnline.com. Don't forget, also, you got Alabama baseball. You got Alabama softball. Rough weekend for Alabama softball out at LSU. They do save salvaged the third game of that series with the Tigers. Jenna Johnson with a big weekend for Alabama softball, both at the plate and a huge defensive play in game three against the Tigers to salvage that one game of the three. And Alabama baseball, Charlie, jumping into SEC play coming up, going right into the deep end. I guess so when you talk about SEC baseball, the whole damn pool is deep, right? There's not really a shallow end. So Florida coming to town for a series, uh, that's – that's just what you're going to get pretty much throughout the SEC schedule. Yeah, I mean, when you step off the the step into the pool, you better be <laughs> ready for it. Have your damn bubble on or your swimmies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll learn a lot about this Alabama baseball team here soon um, because it, it's always tough in SEC play. No doubt about it. Not an easy midweek matchup on the schedule, I guess, with Southern Miss and a trip to Hattiesburg real quick for Brad Bohannon's club. But we'll have it covered. At BamaOnline.com, certainly a lot of NCAA tournament talk coming up this week with spring break, and then we'll get back into some Alabama football next week when the Crimson Tide returns to the practice field as well. As always, appreciate Charlie joining us here on the podcast. Appreciate you tuning in as well. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Bama Online podcast wherever you consume pods. You're going to find us, and if you'd leave us a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate those items of interest as well. For Charlie, Travis, until next time, so long, everybody.